You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber. On today's podcast, we're going to take you around the league with Robert Klemko of the MMQB. Focus in-depth on the Cowboys and the Seahawks. Well, let's kick off the podcast with Josh Alper from ProFootballTalk.com. Josh, thanks for taking the time. What do you make of the aggressive moves the Rams have been making, specifically on defense this offseason? First, they picked up Marcus Peters. Now, Akeem Tlaib's on his way to Southern California. They're both talented, but perhaps temperamental as well. Yes, they are temperamental, but remember, Wade Phillips had to leave in Denver, and you saw how good that defense was, and the idea of putting a couple of corners out there on the edges and, and telling them to take care of their business while while the other guys worry about rushing the passer and, and Aaron Donald uh, leading that charge up the middle, I, I think it's it's pretty easy to see what, you know, what the Rams have in mind and, and how that plays out in the best-case scenario. Now, at the same time, they've traded Robert Quinn to the Dolphins, or have that pending. So they're going to need a little bit of juice off the edge. Uh, you know, they could bring back Connor Barwin, but, but Quinn was definitely their best edge rusher. So I, I think there's still some other shoes to drop, but I, I think the idea is, you know, first and foremost, they, they franchise LaMarcus Joyner at safety. And then they have these two corners out there and have those guys take care of business and let everybody else go and, and try and uh, break the spirit of some quarterbacks. Let's stay in that division. Seattle moving on from Richard Sherman after they made the deal, sending Michael Bennett to the Eagles. Before we talk about the culture of the team potentially changing, let's focus in particular on Sherman. We know he's expensive, trying to come back from the Achilles injury. Where do you think he is at this stage of his career I don't break down the tape, but we get a general consensus of opinion. Do you think slippage has presented itself in his game? Because you probably know he's been on Twitter today saying the metrics indicate his play has been consistent. Well, yeah, I mean, I have noticed that. And, and one thing Sherman is doing is he's saying since 2011. And there's no doubt that if you take that entire window from the start of his career to today, that, that Richard Sherman is about as good a cornerback as there's been in the league over that span. The last couple of years, yes, there has been some slippage. And he's a guy who that scheme and that that team was so talented that it, it was always hard to kind of quantify what, you know, the chicken and the egg there. Uh, that said, Sherman was great. And I think Sherman can still be effective. I, I think the idea of him being the, the cornerback that he was when they went to the Super Bowl two straight years, I, I think that's a little bit harder to buy. But if you look at him as, as a guy who's across from another strong corner, he, he's not going to necessarily be running the field with the, the number one corner the number one receivers on other teams. I, I think that is, if you downshift those expectations a bit, he, he's going to still be a really effective player for somebody. Uh, I, I know the Seahawks have, have said, you know, he said the Seahawks told him they want him back at a lower price. I'd be surprised if that's how things work out. I think that he'll move on. Uh, I know New England was interested in him in a trade last year and, and had some talks with Seattle. If Malcolm Butler moves on, which which we're certainly expecting based on uh, the Super Bowl benching, that that could be an interesting landing spot if the price is right. And, you know, kind of calls to mind the, the Darrell Rivas signing of a, a few years before. Josh Alper, ProFootballTalk.com, is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. So... Sherman could be 
coming back potentially. I'll believe it when we see it. He's gone for now. Bennett on his way to Philadelphia. According to reports, Earl Thomas is on the trading block. Do you think this is all motivated by Seattle massively hitting the reset button? They have come to the realization it's a changing of the guard into the vision. The Rams now the team that is on the rise. Or do you think there's also maybe a cultural motivation here? Because there's been so much talk about this team being divided between offense and defense. Why not make this undeniably now Russell Wilson's football team? Well, I think there's some of that, but I I think that's predicated on how expensive that defense had gotten and how much you've already got these questions about whether Cam Chancellor or Cliff Avril are even going to play again from neck injuries. And I I think more likely than not, Thomas remains, and and he and and Bobby Wagner are are the centerpieces of the defense moving forward, and, and they'll still be able to put together, I think, a good defense around them. But yeah, it's Russell Wilson's team now, and if you if you close the door on on that era of of the Seahawks where that legion of boom and and just the the loud the brashness uh of that of that unit that you know Bennett and and Sherman were so closely tied to that that I think it's hard not to see it as a as an attempt to change the culture, but I think it's one born from football reasons rather than this idea that, that, you know, we needed to protect Russell Wilson or, or we needed to get rid of these guys because they're bad guys. I, I think this was really about uh, in some cases, perhaps making a move a year too early and, and getting that financial shape together and, and really try and address some of these issues in the running game and, and the offensive line that have gone not unaddressed, but but haven't been successfully addressed in, in the last few years. And, and I think it's just a little bit of a shift in, in priorities, but it, it is certainly one that makes this much more Russell Wilson's team than Russell Wilson and the Seahawks defense. Chatting with Josh Alper from ProFootballTalk.com. Let's make the move to Michael Bennett's new team in Philadelphia. Eagles continue to be aggressive today, trading Torrey Smith to Carolina, picking up cornerback Daryl Worley, and in the process, dumping some salary. So much of the conversation is going to center on what's going on under center. Do you think Nick Foles goes back to being number two on the depth chart, stays in Philadelphia, or the Eagles view him as an asset? They can flip him because you know the report that a anonymous AFC team, there's only 16 of them, we could probably figure out which one of them, picked up the phone and offered a second-round pick to the Eagles for Nick Foles. I, I honestly think if I were the Eagles, and I would rather have Nick Foles in the second-round pick, uh, given how late in the year Wentz's injury was and and, and just any thought that if he's not ready for the start of the year, or, or even if you have this just, you know, killer team around, uh, around Wentz right now to be in that same position that if something were to happen next year, that, that you can step in and, and still strike while the iron's hot. Uh, I, th- I, you know, I, I don't know what, what will wind up happening and, and Howie Roseman, one thing he's shown over the last couple of years is he's not afraid to make bold moves and big moves and, and training foals would be a big one, I think because of, of those things. But I, I, I do think that it, it would take more than a second round pick for me to, to give up the security that, that you have with foals, especially if he's not banging the drum to, to say, get out of here. And, and nobody's, you know, nobody's saying that that's the case. We know that somebody's going to give Kirk Cousins a lot of money, be it the Minnesota Vikings, New York Jets, potentially Arizona or Denver. Josh, what is your assessment of Kirk Cousins? When the team 
hands him upwards of $30 million a year based on the annual average salary. What are they going to get when they pick up Kirk Cousins? I mean, they're going to get a very capable NFL quarterback. I, I don't think he's a uh, first tier. I think he's solidly second tier. He's a guy you can win with. Um, but I, I think that as we saw in, in Washington the last couple of years, that, that when the receiving core was hurt and the running game didn't come together, it, it was hard for Cousins to do much. And I, I would look at a team like the Vikings as, as a team where if you're going to make that kind of expenditure and, and you think that's something that's going to push you over the top, I, I could see why they would rather spend that money on Cousins than you know extend their commitment with Case Keenum. There's a longer track record. There's less of uh, this memory of, of sort of the, the end of the Saints game and, and then, of course, the, the Eagles game in the playoffs where you sort of saw Keenum wilt a bit in the face of really tough defensive uh, opposition. And, and I think Cousins, look, Cousins has some of that in his own history. And he's not a perfect quarterback. So I, I think that the, the more you can surround him with, the better. I, I, uh, my fear with the Jets is, is that it becomes sort of like what they did with Neil O'Donnell. Uh, and I think that would extend a little bit to, to the, the Broncos as well, um, that, that you have this quarterback and just nothing around him. And, and I don't think Cousins is a guy who's going to thrive in that kind of situation. Josh, great information as always. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us again today on the NFL on TuneIn. All right. Have a great one, Brian. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Catch up on today's news briefs with TuneIn Podcasts, featuring Stay Tuned with Pre From CAFE and WNYC Studios, welcome to Stay Tuned. New York Times, The Daily. From The New York Times, I'm Michael Barbaro. This is The Daily. Fox News Rundown. I'm Tom Shalhoub, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Find your favorite news podcast by searching the TuneIn app or by asking Alexa today. Now you're in the know with TuneIn. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's focus on today's top stories with Nick Ferguson, the former NFL safety. Nick, thanks for taking the time. Got to start in Tampa Bay with the breaking news. Mike Evans getting paid, according to reports, $55 million guaranteed from the Bucks. What is that going to mean for Odell Beckham Jr.? Do you think he can get quarterback money from the Giants? We're talking 60, 65, maybe $70 million for Odell. Well, well, Odell thinks a lot of himself, and I know he's going to try to compare his numbers to uh, Mike Evans at this point in his career. He hasn't done enough. I know uh, he's a very dynamic, fiery-spirited guy. We've seen that on display with he and Josh Norman's uh, Josh Norman locked horns. But uh, right now, I mean, with Mike Evans getting what he received, now that kind of sets the market. But now we have to look at do you have – uh, the level of production that's equal to that of a Mike uh, Evans to demand and think that Dave Gettleman is going to give you that amount of money, knowing as though uh, the team has running back issues. They could take care of that if they go out and get Saquon Barkley. And now we're still talking about, you know, there's no heir apparent for Eli Manning. Then there's issues on the defensive side of the ball and the offensive side of the ball uh, being with the offensive line. So uh, Odell Beckham Jr. is definitely going to make a major push to be the highest-paid player or wide receiver. But now we just have to look and see if uh, if it's a perfect fit for the Giants and what new GM Dave Gellman really wants to do with the team and with Odell moving forward. 
Nick, let's get your specialty playing in the secondary. So what do you make of what the Rams have been doing on defense this offseason? Bold moves, picking up Marcus Peters first. Yesterday they added Aqib Tlaib. Both extremely skilled, but they can run hot. How combustible is that locker room potentially going to be? Well, you know, as a coach, you have to be able to develop talent, but you also have to be able to lead men and, and manage egos. And Wade Phillips is a great coach for doing that. I mean, he did the same thing with Aqib Tlaib uh, when they won Super Bowl 50 uh, in the game against the Carolina Panthers. So and he's going to a place where he's quite familiar with the system that Wade Phillips runs, and you, you, you're right. You hit the nail on the head. You have two very talented Pro Bowl corners, but we know that they are very hot-headed, very spirited. Uh, we've seen both Marcus Peters and Aqib Tlaib have their issues uh, on the field and have to be reprimanded or even suspended in some cases. So, but uh, when you look at the fact that Wade Phillips and Sean McVay and what they've been doing with the Los Angeles Rams, it's a great fit. I'm really excited to see uh, how they get it to all to mesh. Uh, Robert Quinn will shift out to the Miami Dolphins, and you know, and they're trying to move you know pieces around because you know Aaron Donald is one of uh, the best defensive interior linemen in the league, and you want to give your team an opportunity to win and. Looking at the fact of what Jared Goff did as a quarterback, elevating his level of play under Sean McVay, it definitely changed the narrative. And we, 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 we all watched as this Rams team just kind of beat up Seattle. And we're seeing the fallout of that right now. And we viewed it as a changing of the guard. So if we're talking about a true changing of the guard, and let's try to bring our version of the Legion of Boom here uh, on the Wade Phillips. Uh, those are two great pickups, and once again, it's going to make things really interesting uh, in uh, that division. Chatting with Nick Ferguson, the former NFL safety, my co-host on NFL First and Goal. Check out another big season coming up when we get to the fall. Nick, you're based in Southern California. I'm sure you're aware of the news that was sprinkled throughout Not only the newspapers, but the local TV stations here in the L.A. area this week. The Rams now are selling, don't call them personal seat license, stadium seat license. And they're not coming cheap. So do you think there is a non-football motivation to all the moves going on right now? The Rams are going all in to maximize what they can do on the field coming off that remarkable turnaround of a year ago because they need to get people to write large checks for what they're calling an investment because you get the money back after 50 years for that Taj Mahal of football being built in Inglewood, the new stadium that's going to be opened in 2020. Absolutely. You have to understand that uh, while the players are the moving parts and the production on the field, it's all about making money. And you're in Hollywood. And with so many different things to do here in Los Angeles, you have to find ways to put butts in the seats. And we saw under Jeff Fisher that wasn't happening. That's why, you know, they went and picked up a young, relatable coach in Sean McVay and and he was able to turn things around. So with weapons like Todd Gurley on offense, a resurgence of Jared Goff, and now he's looking and owning up to that uh, top draft choice and when he was picked by the, uh, by the Rams, now you have to give the fans something to really rally behind. So you have this enormous stadium that's coming in. Like you said, there's a significant amount of money that's going to need to be paid to kind of keep that stadium upkeep, keep people coming in, and that turnstile just kind of turning over. So you go out and you get Marcus Peters. You get Aqib Tlaib. You're trying to make a push now. We saw what 
Howie Roseman was able to do with the Philadelphia Eagles. So the Rams are thinking like we can duplicate that whole thing. If we can kind of bring that type of energy to Los Angeles, now we can kind of make this a central landing hub for free agents when the land of celebrities now the Rams are probably thinking that they can kind of create somewhat of a Los Angeles Laker type of scenario when you see on the floor, you see all kind of celebrities sitting courtside uh, at the Staples Center. They're trying to do the same thing with, you know, this team and the new stadium uh, when it, whenever it's built. But for right now, you got the Coliseum. So I understand it. It is a mission that they are definitely trying to work through. But, you know, we live in a land of glitz and glamour, and you're going to bring two guys who trash talk, and they sure back it up. So I like what the Rams are trying to do. Rams are going to have to pay Marcus Peters, still playing on his rookie deal. At some point, they're going to have to pay Aaron Donald. So they have some tough financial decisions coming up. Let's move to Seattle. Feels like a historic week. First, Michael Bennett dealt to Philadelphia. Now Richard Sherman parting ways for now, if you believe reports indicating Sherman could come back to Seattle if he's willing to take less money. I'll believe that when it happens. So... If Sherman's playing for a new team in the fall, you watch these games through a different prism than I do as a former player. Have you seen erosion in his skill set? Sherman's moving on now, mostly based on money and the question marks coming back from the Achilles injury. But is he still the same player based on what you've seen over, say, the last three seasons? No, no, he isn't. Uh, One thing you have to just look at, how he's played in Seattle's defense and what's been kind of the catalyst for it. It's get pressure up front with your front seven and force quarterbacks to throw in some tight windows. And we know that, especially coming out of college, he was once a wide receiver, so he doesn't have a lot of top-end speed that you need at that outside corner position. But one thing he does well, being a former wide receiver, he plays the ball well in the air. And the whole idea was, I'm going to stay on top. And if the quarterback underthrows the ball, I have the ability to come back and take a ball, take the ball away as far as the turnover and INT. Those are the things that he does. He does well as a corner. Uh, the whole idea, when you look at the fact, you say, well, uh, what other teams that may be out there may be uh, in service or in need of his services? There, there are several, uh, several teams, but he definitely has taken a step back. And we don't know what type of player he's going to be after this injury. As a guy who's had two knee surgeries. I can tell you personally, when you come back, you're not the same. You're thinking about that injury, when it happened, uh, what position you were in. So he's got to get past that mental game and knowing as though, once again, he didn't have a lot of that top-end speed. You have to figure that these injuries he's dealing with now is going to slow him down even more. That's why it's really key that he goes to a team that has a core group of guys around him on the defensive side of the ball, similar to what he had Uh, being a member of the Seattle Seahawks. So that's going to be a tricky one to watch. Nick, as always, we value the insights. Have a great weekend. And because Cordell took the day off today, you can be candid with me in the audience. You never believed in Case Keenum last year. You were just doing a bit on the air, right? (laughs) No. Unfortunately, uh, yeah, I really like Case Keenum. I I said this before. Coming out of University of Houston, I thought he was a quality uh, quarterback. He just needed to work on a couple of things, needed to get into the right system, and he would get a chance to blossom. And that's what we've seen in NFL. With the, with, really quickly, with a lot of guys coming out now, you hear, always hear about you know the tangibles versus the intangibles and the arm talent. To me, all I want is a quarterback that can make plays, that can lead, that has that accuracy. And Case Keenum show, even with the Minnesota Vikings, and a lot of people not giving him credit, saying, well, 
Well, it was the defense. Well, the defense fell apart against the Philadelphia Eagles, but now he gets blamed for that too as well. So you can't have your cake and eat it too. But I really believe in his ability. If he can land with the Denver Broncos, uh, that would be great. But uh, to me, just to say that he's not uh, a quality quarterback, uh, I, I think that is uh, not giving him his credit. It's not like he's Mike Glennon. Okay, well, that's not really a compliment. Nick, we're friends. I know what's going on here. You admire anybody like yourself who fought your way into the NFL as an undrafted player. That's fine. How about this? You're a better broadcaster than Case Keenum is as a player. I'll say it. You don't have to, and you can enjoy your weekend. Sound good? Well, thank you, B-Way. I appreciate it. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Despacito? Yeah, we were on that before the Beebs even heard of it. Mi gente? Way before Queen Bay. We were already on it. Discover the next Despacito or Mi Gente track on any of our Univision radio stations. From regional Mexican music and top-rated shows. To Latin trap and even Jackie Guerrido on the radio. Search for Univision here on TuneIn and enjoy a wide variety of flavors and stations. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's spotlight Seattle with Greg Bell of the Tacoma News Tribune. Greg, we know you're busy, so we'll keep it concise and take it one player at a time. Let's go back to Michael Bennett being dealt to Philadelphia. Do you think the primary motivation for Seattle there was Bennett's age, 32, or the amount of money he was making? Uh, hi, Brian. Both, because although it was only $2.2 million they saved in dealing him to the Eagles, that was about one-sixth of their available salary cap space at the time. And now with the Richard Sherman move, they have more than that. He's 32. He played through three injuries last year. He has a toe, a big toe that's almost sideways. He's had for years and had treatment and injections on. He's torn plantar fascia in his foot and a bruised knee he played the last four games of last season with. Yet he still had eight and a half sacks, 24 quarterback hits, only J.J. Watt and Carlos Dunlap have hit the quarterback more in the last five years than, than Michael Bennett, who's been in three straight Pro Bowls, played in his third straight Pro Bowl in January. So he's still productive, even at age 32. But it was a salary cap move, and the Seahawks ended up giving him $17 million guaranteed in an extension they signed with him in December 2016, yet he never played it down under that deal. That extension begins this year, so the Eagles – have three years of a contract with him, and I'm not sure he'll play all three of those years, but for sure he's going to be more effective and be able to play longer when he plays fewer snaps in the Eagles' rotation than he had to in Seattle. Seattle's defensive line, Brian, got so thin, Bennett was playing 85% of the snaps last season, which is 20 25% higher than he was at his best in the Seahawks' Super Bowl years. And now it'll be team with Fletcher Cox in Philadelphia. Let's move to Earl Thomas. If he's on the trade block, do you think Seattle can get more for him in a deal in return than they got from Philadelphia for Bennett? Well, he's the only guy on the team who could command what the Seahawks don't have this draft year, and that's a second and third round pick. They traded those for Sheldon Richardson and Dwayne Brown in the go-for-it moves during last season that didn't pan out, and Seahawks missed the playoffs anyway for the first time in six years. But Thomas is the only one on the roster the only one of the three-time pro bowler who's relatively healthy a year removed from his broken leg who could command what the Seahawks need in the draft. But I think the moves this week of trading Bennett and releasing Richard Sherman today really skyrocket the chances that Earl Thomas is the man who gets the extension. 
and will stay in Seattle beyond 2018. Of course, this is the last year of his contract, and he's made no secret he wants to stay in Seattle but wants a deal done now. And he wants Eric Berry-type $40 million guaranteed money to do it. The Seahawks aren't ready to do that yet because they don't have the cap space and know what they're going to be financially even into this year yet. But they will soon. And I think that there was never a chance they were going to re-up both Sherman and Thomas. I think this week's moves show that Thomas may be the man that they've decided they want to go ahead with beyond 2018. I think his chances of being traded have gone down because of this week as well. Again, because I think that now they're going to work on keeping him beyond this season. We're talking Seahawks with Greg Bell from the Tacoma News Tribune. Greg, I can understand the financial motivation for Richard Sherman not to have an agent represent himself, but do you think there could be a negative impact in not having an agent as now he's looking for a new team to play for? Well, Brian, he's going in blindly, or at least more blindly now into free agency than he would have with an agent. The agent here in the last 48 hours could have sniffed around the league And and agents have contacts beyond the players they're representing at the time. They call teams, of course. They have it from prior relationships, from other clients. So agents could have gotten a word, his agent could have gotten a word of, hey, I think Team X will offer you this much money for this year. And that would give him at least a little bit of an idea of the market for him before he decided with the Seahawks what to do here. Make no mistake, Sherman pushed for this resolution today. He wanted it to get done sooner than later if the Seahawks Once the Seahawks made it clear to him they weren't going to pay him his $11 million due to him this year in salary, and once he said, I'm not renegotiating or restructuring down, then he wanted release so he could go shopping before the market opens on Wednesday. But because he doesn't have an agent, it complicates that he doesn't know right this point what the market is. He's making those calls right now to find out what some team might get him. He, I learned from a league source that he officially failed a physical, the exit physical at the end of last season, which entitles him to injury protection, which the CBA says for this league year is $1.15 million, but he's not getting an injury settlement that could be um, negotiated and he could have gotten a higher price for that. So if he's going to get his $11 million he thought he was going to get from the Seahawks in 2018, he's going to have to get about $10 million of it from another team. And I'm not saying that some team won't give a three-time All-Pro $10 million at the second most position, important position in sports, but he's turning 30. He's coming off the Achilles surgery and the second Achilles surgery recently that's had him in a boot. Uh, it's going to be a challenge to get the money he thought he was going to get before this week in 2018 from another team. Don't be surprised, though, if there's, Brian, there's some cap team that has a lot of cap room like San Francisco who will make a run at giving him a one-year prove-it deal and with his pride and motivation set him up for one more big unrestricted free agency payday next year this time and New England the New England Patriots seem to find a way to sign guys like this and as galling as that would be to Seattle it's not out of the realm that the Patriots could have Richard Sherman in their secondary this season. If he lands with the Niners, back to the San Francisco Bay Area where he played his college football at Stanford. Let's wrap it up with the perception that Sherman is not the player he was, and that's understandable, not only now coming back from the Achilles injury, but he'll be 30 at the end of the month. You watch this team play with a careful eye. How much of a decline have you seen from Sherman in recent years? Not much, to be honest with you. And their quarterback's elite quarterbacks in this league, including Aaron Rodgers, who still won't throw at him. 
and uh, teams start to get creative and move their guys around and, and dare the Seahawks to play man-to-man with Sherman and move Sherman into the slot in recent years, and he wasn't as effective there as he was in Seattle's zone coverage and over-the-top uh, single high safety, and that's where Sherman excelled, press coverage and Earl Thomas Roman behind him. The Seahawks did less of that the last couple of years. Some of it was because of health, and, and Thomas wasn't there for part of 2016. But until he got hurt, Achilles in Arizona in November, he was still a, a corner that, if not shut down that side of the field, certainly teams threw a lot less to that side than the other side. And the team and the Seahawks knew coming into games with Sherman on the left side that they had 10 other defenders basically to cover two-thirds of the rest of the two-thirds of the field. And that's a huge advantage. What happened at the end of the Sermon's tenure in Seattle is the Seahawks pass rush wasn't as effective as it was earlier when they were winning the games all those, and, and going to Super Bowls. And then Sherman had to cover for longer. And any cornerback in the NFL can only cover for a certain amount of time because of the rules of the game and how hard it is to cover NFL wide receivers. And that started what showing a little bit of the numbers that Sherman gave up in catches. He didn't have the pass rush supporting him and quarterbacks getting the ball out as quickly as in previous years. I think he can still play at age 30. The two Achilles will be a, a factor in when he can get back on the field. Brian, he was supposed to get back on the field in around June, running again from the Achilles surgery in November. The fact he had a second one to clean up one of his bone spurs suggests that might push him toward training camp or even later. But I expect him to be in another uniform for another team for game one in 2018. Greg, we know it's been an extremely busy 48 hours for you, so we appreciate you creating the time to join us today on the NFL on TuneIn. You're welcome. Thank you, Brian. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. The boys of summer are back. And a fly ball well hit. It's back to the wall. He leaps. Can't get it. It's a home run. MLB Spring Training is here, and you can catch every game from Florida and Arizona live on TuneIn Premium. Rivalry games, split squad games, TuneIn Premium has it all. When the pitch count begins for real, catch every game of the 2018 MLB season, from opening day to the MLB World Series, live on TuneIn. It's gone! It's a home run! Major League Baseball is on TuneIn Premium. Upgrade today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We roll on on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, breaking down the Cowboys with Skylar Dixon of the Associated Press. Skylar, thanks for taking the time. Before we talk dollars and cents, how would you sum up where Des Bryant is at this stage of his career? Do you think he's still a premier receiver? Uh, I think right now, no. I mean, I think the last three years uh, are the short answer to that. Obviously, if you go back to 2014, uh, he was among the probably three or four best in the league, and he got paid that way uh, going into 2015. Quarterback change and all kinds of different things have gone on in the last three years, but the bottom line is, you know, his numbers just don't match up to where they should be for an elite receiver. Let's go from number of catches to number of dollars. We're not accountants, but in general terms, how big of a pay cut do you think Dez is going to have to take to stay with the Cowboys? Uh, I don't know if there'll be one at all. I I, I think that there's a, uh, you know, uh, there have been times through the years that Jerry and his son Stephen have uh, disagreed on things, if you will, and, you know, uh, 
Stephen has been pretty outspoken. Just some of the things he said. I haven't been around him, but I've been following it from the combine and stuff. And a little surprised by some of the things he said. Um, and Jerry, you know, he, he's not going to go there on those things. Um, and so, obviously, Jerry said at the combine that. You know, he wants to sit down with Dez and have the conversation, but he also said that he wants Dez back. So I just don't know that it's a, a slam dunk uh, that there's going to be a pay cut involved. It, it Obviously, it could happen, but they've kind of been down this road before. They went down it with Brandon Carr uh, trying to get him to take a pay cut basically a year before it made sense from a contract standpoint to cut ties with the player. Um, and, and that feels like the same kind of thing here where it's going to be a little trickier to get the pay cut versus just going ahead and going one more year on the deal as is and then going from there. And then they ultimately moved on for Brandon Carr. Talking Cowboy football with Skylar Dixon from the Associated Press. Skylar, you've been around this team for many years. You know the culture. Now that Jerry Jones has reimbursed the league $2 million in legal fees after that kerfuffle last year, is that the end of the story? Uh, I would say yes, but every time I say yes to something like that, it's not the end of the story. How about if I hope it's the end of the story? <laughs> um, I, I think that Jerry, and again, I haven't been around Jerry in a little while, so it's a little, it, a little bit more difficult. I like to kind of be around him before I, I say this sort of stuff, but I, I think he feels like he got his point across, he got his message across, and that he accomplished what he wanted to accomplish out of all of that. And $2 million isn't that big of a deal to Jerry Jones, so why not? Just go ahead and pay it and and have it be done with. Understandably, we've been talking a lot of Seattle football on the show today. We all saw the video last season of Earl Thomas telling Jason Garrett to come get me after Seattle played Dallas. Now that Seattle is shopping, Thomas, do you think the Cowboys have interest? I believe that they there will be some interest from the Cowboys for veteran help in the secondary. It's a little tricky because you know they they have invested in young guys in a significant way back there, uh, and I think they feel like several of those young guys can play. Um, now, I I would say there's a little bit more of an opening at safety than there is at corner in terms of what the Cowboys want to try to do with those young guys. Um, so I would I would think that somebody like an Earl Thomas uh, would be a possibility. The flip side of that is that the Cowboys have not spent a lot of money on people in recent years. Uh, That's one area where I do think Stephen Jones is having a significant influence because I don't think he likes uh, to pay that kind of money. The last time they did it uh, essentially was Brandon Carr, uh, which is now, I guess, six years ago. It's been a while. So they don't really do that much anymore, but uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet against it, and also it's worth noting that uh, the secondary coach in Seattle is now in Dallas. That could have an influence as well. We'll be connecting the dots there. Skylar Dixon covers the Cowboys for the Associated Press. He's our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Skylar challenging to fully evaluate Dak Prescott's second year because he didn't have Ezekiel Elliott for a half dozen games. Do you think Prescott took a step back? Was there a sophomore slump? What did he show you last year? Yeah, he definitely took a step back. Uh, he hates that term. Um, but uh, there's there's no getting around it. It was basically a sophomore slump. You know, I feel like uh, teams sort of forced him to win games in ways that he wasn't comfortable with. In other words, they weren't going to let him run around like crazy. Uh, they were going to try to contain it. I don't think it was to the degree you see with the Russell Wilson, for example, but I think it was it's similar. You know, he just didn't make a whole ton of plays with his feet and just the offense in general bogged down trying to get down the field. They 
they wouldn't throw down the field much, and then they would try without a whole lot of success. Um, and so, there, you know, I feel like there's a lot of moving parts with Dak and, and what the future holds. And, and now Jerry's talking about, okay, we need to make this, this offense more Dak-friendly, which I think means a little bit more of a college kind of offense, if you will, and that's not really the, the offense that the Cowboys have had. They've had sort of your traditional, uh, you know, zone blocking, vertical routes on the outside kind of offense, um, and probably a, not a whole lot of ingenuity in there because they really didn't need it, particularly uh, in 2016 when Romo gets hurt and they kind of simplify things and, and everything clicks and, and they win. And so then you, you change that around. It gets a little bit, you know, that there's more scouting. They need to be doing, getting a little bit more creative, et cetera, um, and it doesn't happen. So I, it was a step back. I don't think there's any question. Uh, I, I do think that he does have a chance to be a good quarterback in this league, and obviously this year is going to be really important to try to start answering that question. Let's wrap it up with the draft, not the Cowboy draft needs or what they could be doing because we're all guessing, but the draft itself. We took the show to Chicago and Philadelphia the last two years. The response, as you know, overwhelming, massive crowds. Is there a buzz in your area? Do people care the draft is coming to Arlington, Texas? I think it'll be a big deal when you all get here. Uh, I mean, we're, we are football crazy Texas. I think that's kind of where I start with that. And, you know, they, I, I believe I saw something that they reached 100,000 uh, lottery entrants faster than they had for any of the others. So, yes, we are football crazy, and I think that's going to reflect in the fandom somewhat. The downside is that it's not as dynamic as Chicago or Philly. I mean, we're talking not, nothing against Arlington, but we're talking about just sort of a suburb, you know, between Dallas and Fort Worth. And to be perfectly honest with you, uh, Dallas and Fort Worth don't quite rate with cities like that. So I think that's a little bit of the downside. But I think the football part of it will take care of it. It's the first one in a stadium. That's going to be a little interesting, and I think people are going to show up for that. So, yes, I – I th- it's hard to, to answer the sort of buzz question here because there's always so much going on in DFW, but I do believe once it gets close that, uh, yes, there will be some people talking about it. Skyler, as always, we appreciate the information. Thanks for joining us again today on the NFL on TuneIn. Sure. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. TuneIn has what you need and when you want it, when on the run and on the go. Covering all musical needs. Today's hits. Latin hits, country roads, hip hop beats, supporting artists and the music they make exclusively on TuneIn. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's go round the league with Robert Klemko of the MMQB. Robert, thanks so much for taking the time. Got to start in Cleveland now with Jarvis Landry having been dealt from the Dolphins to the Browns. If Josh Gordon can finally keep his personal life in order, how potent could that combination of Landry and Gordon be, pending who the quarterback might be in Cleveland? Yeah, and, and that's the big X factor, right? You know, who's throwing them the football, and is that offensive line going to stay together and uh, stay healthy for the entire season? I would think that they would prioritize not only the quarterback position in this draft um, if they were unable to get a, a desired free agent, but the running back position, because I think that 
uh, a Saquon Barkley presence um, could take a lot of pressure off who's ever throwing the ball and really open up things in that offense. Uh, I don't know about the price in terms of Jarvis Landry. He's a, a, a productive, talented slot receiver, but I, I don't think he'd be a number one receiver for the majority of NFL teams. Um, I think Miami kind of got away with something here, getting something in return for a franchise-tagged uh, Jarvis uh, Landry. But uh, I do think that he can be really positive going forward um, for whoever they decide is a quarterback there. And we know Cleveland with a ton of cap space. they got to give the money to somebody. Speaking of big money, you know that Mike Evans, according to reports, is getting $55 million guaranteed as part of his contract extension from Tampa Bay. If Evans is getting $55 million, Robert, how much do you think Odell Beckham Jr. can extract from the New York football giants? You know, I think it has to be in that neighborhood. Um, I think Antonio Brown is the standard bearer. And I understand that the cap raises every year, so the latest guy who's in that upper echelon is going to get the most money. So I would expect Odell to probably top Antonio's deal. Um, but would you rather have Odell Beckham or Antonio Brown? I think you, you, everybody would say. Would say. Their groups in the NFL. Sorry. A little technical issue there. They would say Antonio Brown, correct? Yeah, they would say yeah. Antonio Brown. Um, keeping in mind that there are entire groups of wide receivers, starting wide receivers in the NFL, who don't make as much money as Mike Evans is making now combined. So I think the expectations are going to be really high for him, um, and you would expect him um, to, to take a step up from what he's already been, which is, you would say, conservatively, a top 10 receiver in the NFL. Taking you across the league with Robert Klemko from the MMQB, since I'm counting other people's money today, how big of a pay cut do you think Des Bryant's going to have to take to stay with the Cowboys? You know, I think it'll be pretty significant just because over the last two seasons, he really hasn't been that go-to receiver on, on third down that he's been for the rest of his career. I mean, I think he's a nice security blanket for Dak Prescott, but I would expect them to prioritize that position in the draft so that they can comfortably um, ask him to take a pay cut or ask him to walk. Robert, let's make sense of what's happened in Seattle. It feels like the Seahawks have hit the reset button. So factoring in what they've done, the Rams winning the division last year, the Niners adding Jimmy Garoppolo, do you think we've seen a real changing of the guard in that division? I, th- I think so. You know, the Rams have been so aggressive and in, in obviously here early in the offseason, uh, acquiring Tlaib, acquiring Marcus Peters. You know, their position to go on a run, whereas Seattle is in a rebuilding mode. Um, and it's not a true rebuilding mode because they do already have the quarterback and Russell Wilson. And it's extremely rare that a GM head coach combo uh, is able to build a champion from scratch twice. And this is the opportunity that they have now. Um, and having that quarterback is, is the only reason that they're able to do that because with Russell Wilson, uh, it doesn't matter how – Um, aging the roster is around him or how inexperienced his offensive line has been, he's going to get eight wins. He's he's worth eight wins as soon as he steps on the field. Um, So I I think it's it's an awesome opportunity for them, and I think it's smart. You know, you look at the Patriots and what they've done with veterans over the years, guys who are um, big contributors, they've asked them to take pay cuts or they let them move on. Um, And that's a hard thing to do for a lot of teams and a lot of fan bases, Um, but Seattle is doing that right now. You referenced the Rams being aggressive, especially on defense in the secondary, adding Marcus Peters, Aqib Tlaib yesterday, part of that deal. Are you hearing anything about Aaron Donald getting the new contract he's been looking for? 
Uh, you know, I don't think that they're super close on that. I, I do know that they value him, you know, probably more than anybody on that roster except for Goff at this point. So I would expect um, something to get done before things, any acrimony set in there. You know, you talk to Les Snead, and I think he acknowledges that the best pick of his entire career has been Eric Aaron Donald. Coming out of pit, if you think about the trajectory, it's been pretty amazing. Finally, let's wrap it up on the path to the draft. We were talking about Cleveland earlier. You know they have an abundance of capital with a ton of picks once more. The luxury of having the number one overall pick, the number four overall pick. If they decide to make some history, we haven't seen a running back go number one since Kajana Carter came out of Penn State in 1995. If they take another Penn State running back in Saquon Barkley, how much of that is an endorsement of his unique skill set? but also at the same time a referendum on the flaws that all of these quarterbacks have this year. Yeah, that's a pretty ominous comparison in Kijana Carter. Right? And you never know. <laughs> Nobody's really a sure thing. I mean, everybody thought Trent Richardson was a sure thing. Right. And, you know, the decisions that, that were made around his pro career have, have ended the career of a number of scouts and general managers that I can think of. So um, I think it's very possible that they pick him number one. But I, I, in the end, I do think the number one pick – will be a quarterback just because they're going to fall in love with one of these guys, and I think they're going to do everything they can to ensure that they uh, secure that, that player. You know, I think a lot of people are leaning towards Sam Darnold, but I really wouldn't rule out Baker Mayfield just because they've contracted Scott McLuhan, the ex-49ers and Seahawks GM, um, to consult on finding uh, a quarterback in that first round. And Scott, um, since day one of this offseason, has been gung-ho about Baker Mayfield, and I know that uh, John Dorsey respects his opinion. Uh, so I do think that pick is still very much in the air, but uh, I'm willing to bet that it'll end up being a quarterback. Robert, I enjoy reading your work on MMQB, so I appreciate you taking the time to join us today on the NFL on TuneIn. Thank you. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. TuneIn, your everything audio app.